Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining me this week is Alexis Scher, who is making her New York debut with the audacious comedy drama Our Dear Dead Drug Lord, which has already been extended several times since opening in September and is now scheduled to run at the WP Theater through January 5th. Hello, Alexis Scher. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Thank you for having me. Your show, Our Dear Dead Drug Lord, has been extended um, many times already, but there are some listeners who haven't had the chance to see it. So could you tell them what it's about? Sure. Uh, Our Dear Dead Drug Lord is set in Miami. It's about four teenage girls. They're all members of this school club called the Dead Leaders Club, and they come together to try to uh, resurrect and commune with the spirit of Pablo Escobar, the infamous narco-terrorist. How did you get the idea for this play? (laughs) This is an original premise. This is a totally original premise. Um, So, you know, it's kind of uh, an amalgamation of kind of where my thoughts were when I started writing it. Um, I started writing it shortly after uh, the inauguration in uh, 2017. And um, so I was born and raised in Miami um, and was there until I went to college. And so I was thinking a lot about, after the inauguration, we kept talking about how the pendulum was swinging. And I kept hearing that term a lot, this pendulum, um, this political pendulum swinging in one direction. And so that made me think about, okay, when was the last time it swung the other way? Um, Which made me think about 2008 and the first time we elected Obama. And I was a high school student. I was a junior in Miami. And I remember politics being very much um, a part of my life, a part of, you know, the, the culture of my high school. I went to New World School of the Arts, which is this kind of amazing performing arts high school, you know, super progressive. And so I was thinking a lot about that time and trying to to re-examine that time in order to, like, look at today or try and figure out what's going on today. And uh, so that's kind of, <laughs> that was, like, the initial impetus. And then, you know, Pablo Escobar. So my mom is Colombian. She was uh, born and raised in um, Medellin. And so Pablo is kind of this looming figure in my family's mythology. Um, It's something I I think about a lot because history with the cartel and the violence, you know, never directly affected me, but it had a great effect on, you know, my mom's generation. And like, it feels very close and very far at the same time. And I, I was in Columbia for the first time in 2014. And the first thing I wanted to do was go on, like, the Pablo Escobar tour and, like, you know, see all the, like, historical places. And my cousins were horrified. And, um, and you know, they, like, schooled me a little bit. And, and it made me feel very American. And, you know, thinking about the way that, you know, in the States we've kind of, and, you know, we've got TV shows like Narcos where we kind of lionize these people who've done terrible, terrible things. And, you know, and it's not just Pablo Escobar. We do it with, like, Charlie Manson. And so I think in America there is sort of this, like, turning criminals into celebrities. And 
and that was something I was super interested in. And that's how Pablo <laughs> ended up in the play. I don't know. There's there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on in your play. And it's a little tricky to talk about because I don't want to give away spoilers. There are a lot of things as you watch the play you're sort of surprised by. But I do want to touch on some of the elements that you've included that make the play very fresh. And one is the use of Santeria, and the other is the use of Spanish, untranslated Spanish, in Mm -hmm. portions of the play. And I wondered if you talk a little bit about how and why you decided to incorporate those elements. And you might want to start off by explaining what Santeria is for some uh, listeners who may not know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in the show, we pull from a lot of different um, sources of magic and communities that that utilize magic or, or spiritual practice to uh, commune with God or reach God. And, and Santeria, you know, in the Miami community is there because Santeria is from the Caribbean. And so in thinking about, okay, these, these four teenage girls, what do they know about? Where, where do they learn about magic? Is it the aunt, the crazy aunt who does her little Santeria stuff? Is it, you know, the, the movie that they just watched? And so trying to pull and, you know, think about, okay, as a teenager, what, what is the truth of what I know about? And, and so I, I was thinking a lot about, you know, just the community I grew up in. And I think, um, at least, it, you know, it's true for me, uh, <laughs> being in, you know, a Latinx household, that, you know, magic and the divine is a lot closer, I think, and, and more a part of just my everyday life. And, and so that was just an, a quality I wanted to bring in. And the same thing with Spanish, where half my family, like there are just family members of mine that, you know, I can barely speak to because they don't know any English. And so there is a little bit of like getting lost in translation. But, uh, you know, this un, untranslated Spanish was just so much a part of um, my upbringing. And so I had my mom do the translation, actually, which is it was a really mm. like fun little project for us. So it just felt with the Santeria and with the the Spanish, it just felt true to to the story, to the characters, and to you know the community. So mm-hmm. it, it it felt wrong to not include it. Now in the play, the the four young women tried to uh, invoke the spirit of uh, Pablo Escobar. And as you said, the genesis of the play uh, started with the politics of uh, the recent election. But this is a play that really centers on the lives, very much the sexual lives of these four Mm -hmm. young women. There's same-sex attraction between Mm -hmm. some of the characters. And there is one very intense scene uh, towards the end of uh, the play. And I'm wondering, again, why did you include both of those elements? So these girls are trying to invoke this very powerful figure, with, which I think is actually speaks more to their desire to invoke the power within themselves. That's really what I think magic is actually all about. It. Like, it's its heart is it's about intention, and it's about control, and it's about... Um, self-possession and and you know power and 
And so I think, you know, they, they channel all that towards Pablo, but really what they're trying to do is conjure that within themselves. And so, um, which I feel like is, that's what growing up is about. That's what being teenager being a teenager is about. It's about trying to find autonomy. It's about figuring out who you are and your voice and, um, you know, what you like, what you don't like. And so, and as a teenager, you're, you're certainly figuring out, like, you know, I just remember my hormones just running <laughs> rampant. And, and so in terms of, same-sex attraction, thinking about Miami and Latinx communities that kind of have, you know, societal expectations, especially for women. And what does it mean if a woman is in the middle of that and, and doesn't want to buy into that or, or wants or yearns for something else and desires something else and, and, you know, the tension in that and how it gets complicated. And that's kind of where that came from. And then the the part of the play we're not going to talk about, which I think I think a lot of people are quite surprised it is this um, moment of kind of terrible violence. But for me, thinking about the, this magic that these women are trying to do and this power that they're trying to get, and it is kind of you know dark magic. You know, we're we're not trying to commune with Santa Claus. It's Pablo Escobar, <laughs> um, who was a you know very very violent figure and did some just terrible terrible things, and. So, you know, while I was writing the play, I, I thought a lot about like, okay, what, is it, what does it cost to actually bring this person into this space? Um, what, what do we have to, you know, sacrifice? What, um, what is the horrible thing that has to be done? Because it, it shouldn't be easy. In a lot of ways, it's kind of the like anti-moral morality play. Hmm. Um, because I... I think with these girls, they're trying to find power and and they kind of look in the wrong place because they just don't have any other options. And so, you know, it kind of, you know, veers off in a in a scary direction. And they, you know, I think at the end, they, there is this sense of like empowerment, but, you know, it's not the like, oh, like, let's all hold hands and be empowered. I think it's it's a different flavor, which was, you know, something I was interested in you know the the dark un underbelly of power and your play joins a, a a number of plays that we've seen recently that focus on uh teen girls and mm -hmm. i'm wondering what is it about the lives of young women that is so fascinating right now we've had the wolves Dance Nation, uh, Usual mm -hmm. Girls, Usual Girls, your yeah. your play, uh, that have all been uh, met with and much interest, and so I'm I'm interested in what is it uh, among you playwrights uh, that has you focusing on young women and has the theater going audience so eager to hear what you have to say about them? So I think. There has to be some, um, you know, correlation between who we've kind of given permission to be playwrights. You know, I think about when, you know, I was in high school and I, I, um, I'm an actor also. And so most of my training been in performance. But I remember in high school, you know, my understanding of, you know, who is a playwright, all I could think about were like, you know, dead white guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Or like the handful of alive white guys that we, we just see a lot. And like, you know, my, my favorite playwrights in high school were like uh, Martin McDonough and Tracy Letts. And, and they were just very, um, you know, prolific. And, and I, I just didn't know at that point that a, a young woman could also be a playwright. And, and so, you know, I, I was acting, I was acting. And then I, that kind of 
naturally fell into into writing because really what I was trying to do was write roles for myself and write roles for my peers because I didn't feel like there were these these roles that we could you know really sink our teeth in and playwriting for me was kind of born out of that desire to create those roles for young people um, because I was you know I was a young person in acting training who you know wanted to do that great juicy scene but you know didn't want to play a 40 year old um, <laughs> and and so you know I started writing about young people because also you know I I, I was like I still am a young person but you know at some point I was a teenager these are all experiences I've had and and so I think now we're seeing a lot more young female playwrights stepping up to the plate, um, bringing their experience. I think as an audience, we're understanding that we can we can watch stories that aren't about white men. <laughs> they are actually not, you know, the blank canvas for experience. And I mean, it's a just a very exciting time and, you know, kind of a great wave to be a part of. Is that the primary difference that you see between your generation of writers and previous generations of writers? Young women are being given more permission, I'm using air quotes, to tell uh, your stories? I mean, that's certainly how I feel. Um, you know, and then of course there are, there are many great playwrights who, and female playwrights who come before me, but I mm. think we're seeing you know, it's coming, it's coming hard and it's coming fast. Because then you think about the audiences who are like half women. And so it's suddenly like, you know, and I hear from, um, you know, women across all generations, like, oh, I remember this. I remember this feeling. And, and so I think there is that desire for everyone, regardless of the age, to just feel represented on stage. Certainly young women go through, <laughs> through a lot. Um, and, and so it's just nice to have that representation. You are, you're, you're in your early 20s, mid 20s at this point? I am, I'm 27. I'm tur turning 28 <laughs> yeah. next month. Um, 20, I guess that makes me late 20s. Late 20s. <laughs> I've read that you are very interested in, in creating work that speaks directly to your generation. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I wonder if you would talk a little bit about that what that voice is, what you see as the, the differences, male or female, people uh, in your generation, because, of course, the whole theater community is really interested in bringing the millennial audience into the theater. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, not to speak for my whole generation, <laughs> <laughs> um, but... I think, you know, um, millennials do desire to be invited to the theater, to have their perspective um, on stage. The real defining element of this generation is like we, I, I think we're the, we're like the 9-11 children. We, you know, it's this generation of people who were um, school-aged during 9-11 and mm. thinking about the ramifications of that, first of all, that event, but then this, all the subsequent years and kind of this, you know, the war on terror, which was a weird thing as a, as a school child to think like, oh, we are at war with an idea, right? Terrorism is an idea. Thinking about how that has painted um, my generation. And, you know, I think every generation has their, their own things. Like, of course, there was the Cold War and you, mm -hmm. you fear different things. But I think my generation, we were taught to disproportionately fear of radical um, 
Islam. And and then, of course, there was the, um, the recession. And and so suddenly it's this like this generation of people who are kids during this horrible thing. And then finally they're adults. And it's like we can't be adults yet because our economy is kind of a mess. And there's this major disconnect between the, the boomers who are like, oh, well, buy a house. And it's like, well, actually, we can. They're like, well, stop eating avocado toast. And it's like, that's actually not the reason why I can't buy a house. So I, I feel like there's just kind of a, a lot of things that have defined our experience and, you know, just the climate of the world. And that's kind of catapulted us into adulthood. And now we are adults. And now we, it's trying to figure out like, okay, how do we be something, do something. And so I, I think a lot of the theater that we, we do see is, you know, from a certain generation, which is fine. I think there's space for all kinds of theater. I'm just interested in the theater that invites my generation to it. Because I, you know, I do think it's very important that we start kind of raising the next generation of theater just because you know we need these people in these seats absolutely and this play very powerfully speaks to that generation of uh of theater goers but it also speaks to theater goers of other generations as as well it's uh really pulled people in and given them a lot to think about in terms of the uh, inner lives of young women who have come of age uh, during, as you say, this post 9-11 era. And so thank you for it. And thank you for talking to us about it. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll consider supporting this show and all the other Broadway radio podcasts with a contribution via our Patreon page. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can find the page and some extras at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.